This is Channel 253. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. This is Evelyn Lopez. This is Crossing Division, Tacoma's talk show. Today, we are going to dig a little bit deeper into campaign financing because we have local elections and they are heading into the final lap leading to the November general election. So I have with me today one of my favorite guests, Joe Lopez. Joe, Hello. Would you, would you like to introduce yourself, Joe Lopez? Hi, I am Joe Lopez. I happen to be married to the host and have been for the last 23 years. Yeah, it really makes it easy to get booked on this show if you're married to the host. So we are coming to you from the beautiful Moon Yard Studios in North Tacoma. So hello, Doug. Hello. <laughs> turn on my mic. <laughs> let's, let's start. Um, so let me, before we start digging in, one of the reasons I thought it would be interesting to do a campaign finance follow-up was that we had quite a few things the last time, right after the primary, that we kind of thought were interesting. And I wondered if now that we're sort of getting into the end game of the uh, 2019 election, whether we found anything else that was interesting or whether there were other things that were developing um, or not developing. And I think we've got a lot to talk about. So let's start with the city council race. And I think we'll just go right down from the top to the bottom in terms of positions. Position one, which is sort of a northwest Tacoma, and that's where we live. That's where we live. Where we live, has John Hines um, and Nate Lover. So what can you tell me about John Hines and Nate Lover in terms of their campaign finance well, in terms of their individual donations, they are pretty much running neck and neck. As of this morning, Nath Lover has booked about $33,000, $32,900, to John Hines, 30000 Though recently reported, uh, the Washington Realtors Pack will be making an independent expenditure, and we should probably explain what that is, of about $4,600, which is probably for a, uh, a mailer on behalf of John Hines. Yeah. So let me talk a little bit about what an independent expenditure is. In our state, um, campaigns have contribution limits. So if you are a, a well-heeled uh, person who would like to make a contribution to someone's campaign, you can't go above a certain amount. And and I'm not sure what the limit is right now for a city council race. Do you happen to know that? I think it's, it's $1,000 per race. Okay. So you could donate $1,000 before the primary, and then you could donate $1,000 for the general. Okay. So you could donate $2,000 to a candidate this year. Yeah. And um, that's a limit on what an individual can give, and it's also a limit on what a business can give and and what an organization can give. So the um, Washington Realtors Pack could give a candidate like John Hines $1,000 for the primary, and it could give him $1,000 for the general. And then it, then it stops. It can't give any more money, except 
this exception. And the exception is something that we are called independent expenditures. And that is when the organization, it could be a person too, but it's usually a PAC or an organization. Usually with a pretty opaque name, like the, you know, citizens to make Pierce County better. Right. Like we have an, we had earlier this year, um, some independent expenditures uh, on behalf of both Deanna Keller and Shelley Schlumpf in the port race, and that was concerned taxpayers of Washington. Yeah, mainly one concerned taxpayer. Yeah. But. <laughs> one concerned taxpayer. But anyway, so for the um, for an independent expenditure, there's no limit. I mean, you could you, but but you can't give money to the campaign. What you do is you put out information supporting or opposing the candidate or the ballot measure. Um, so you could, if you wanted to, um, spend a, a million dollars and fund a huge TV campaign supporting an individual. Now, legally, the limitation here is that this effort that you're putting in has to be completely separate from the candidate's own campaign. You can't coordinate it. You can't plan it with the campaign staff. This has to be just you and your organization operating independently, which is why they're called independent expenditures. Difficult to say, you know, to what— If they to, really are. If they really are. Yeah. I always kind of figure that— um, what I think does happen, I actually think that the PAC is usually pretty careful about not talking to the campaign or the candidate, but probably there are people who know what the PAC is doing, and they, and they probably talk. Yes. I think it would be pretty rare for a candidate to be completely surprised that someone is doing a advertising campaign on their behalf supporting them, and they didn't know anything about it. But it, it, that's the way it's supposed to work. Right. Usually— you start to hear rumors fairly early in the electoral cycle that this group or that group is going to come in strongly on behalf of this candidate mm -hmm. or with advertising against another candidate. Mm -hmm. And it's something that you sort of watch for because, to me, these are the most revealing type pots of money because if your organization – you know – I would say there's a lot of organizations, a lot of businesses and individuals who might put a thousand bucks down on a campaign. One of the things we'll see if you look into the details of various candidates running for city council is that Schnitzer Steel this year, who run a business down on the Tide Flats, a metal recycling business, they're putting like a thousand bucks into almost everyone's race. Right. And that's a really sound strategy for a business because you want to have a good relationship with whomever is on city council. You want them to take your calls. You want them to have a generally positive feeling about you. But the independent expenditure is different because that is – it's independent. And it's usually more money than what you would otherwise be able to give. So th This is where though and why it's sometimes difficult to figure out who's actually donating the money because they do tend to hide behind names like you know, concerned taxpayers of Pierce County. Uh, now, there is a legal requirement that on their mailers and other advertising that they list – I think it's their top five – contributors. So that at least is an indication of who the big wheels are behind, yes. you know, this effort. Yes. Now, um, it used to be that it, you get sort of like double layers of confusion because you'd have like concerns taxpayers of Washington, top five contributors, taxes are bad, PAC. <laughs> we hate taxes, PAC. And then, you, you know, because there wasn't um, a requirement that those contributors then Disclose. show you what who their top five contributors are. So it was still somewhat opaque. And there was a uh, 
bill, I believe, passed last year that was um, something that um, Senator Andy Billig from Spokane had been working on for years that was trying to get more clarity into this called, you know, this is all called dark money um, funding. And I can't remember, it did get passed and I can't remember how it changed the requirements, but there there is some current ongoing effort to get more transparency into this process that is inherently not very transparent. So that's the that's the the sort of long story behind the $4,600 uh, that will be spent on behalf of the Heinz campaign independently by the Realtors Pack. Now, the interesting thing in this race is what you're not going to be seeing. Um, typically, you know, the elephant in the room when it comes to pack expenditures in local elections is the Chamber of Commerce's Business Alliance PAC. Mm-hmm. Um, they have typically spent tens of thousands of dollars per electoral cycle. They're by far the biggest source of independent expenditures in local elections. And you will not be seeing them in the heinz Lava race because the Chamber of Commerce has split its endorsement between uh, both Heinz and Lava. Mm-hmm. Now, the last time— Yeah, I was going to ask you, and how is this different from last well, time? Well, the last time uh, the District 1 seat was up for a vote, which was in 2015, uh, that was again John Hines, who was running against the incumbent Anders Ibsen. Ibsen is term-limited out this time. And let me see if I can pull the figure— the chamber spent about, I think it was about $50,000, uh, and that was split between advertising that was both on behalf of Heinz and then advertising that was against Anders Ibsen. Yeah, I remember there were some hit pieces in that campaign. Yeah, yeah the, the, the typical stuff where you try to demonize the, the opponent yeah. with a sort of blurry black-and-white picture right. because nothing says evil incarnate like a blurry black-and-white right. picture. But so that was $50,000 that, that was floating around this race last time that we will not see mm-hmm. uh, in this in this current election. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So we'll see what happens. The um, As Joe mentioned, the $4,600, so 4600 I think it's four six twenty nine, um, is, I believe, for a direct mail piece – and it should be coming out soon, and it, I assume it's only going to District 1, and they may have sorted it so that it's only going to certain households yeah. that have active voters. Um, so that should be coming out around this week, and that will be very interesting to see what the realisters have to say in support of John Hines. Yeah. Uh, next race, position three, Keith Blocker versus David Combs. Well, currently, Keith Blocker is at about $27,000 raised, at $26,900. Combs reports only having raised about Mm $6,500. Not seeing any any PAC money being spent on on either candidate. It's a fairly straightforward race of a it's an incumbent against an insurgent candidate who's mm-hmm. not happy with the incumbent. Yeah, I would say that too. I think um, Keith has some um, – it's technically PAC money, but it's just in the form of regular contributions right. like from the firefighters and some of the other right. unions. And, and we, t- we, we always see them in, yeah. in local elections. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so position seven. This one's interesting. Uh, Courtney Love versus Connor McCarthy. Well, Connor McCarthy has so far raised seventy-three thousand four hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, his opponent, Courtney Love, 
not that Courtney Love, but another Courtney Love, uh, has raised about $4,073. Yeah. And what's their spending look like? Connor reports having spent, out of the $73,000, expenditures of about $43,671. Courtney Love has spent a little under $3,000 of the $4,000 raised. So what's interesting here to me is um, Courtney has pretty much spent the money that she's raised. I mean, she's spent almost $3,000. She's raised about $4,000. Connor has a $30,000 difference. Connor is term limited. He can't run for city council again. No, this this is his second and last term uh, on the council. Most of uh, his spending was done before the primary. Mm-hmm. He he pretty much this is a this is a citywide position. He pretty much blanketed the city with uh, with campaign signs and mailers too. Yeah, I, they 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 did a very good job of of really covering the city from corner to corner. Um, less spending. More recently, Mm -hmm. though, uh, contributions have continued at a pretty good clip. Well, this is what I find very interesting. So I took a look at, and for those of you who are wondering, we are looking at all of the information that's on the um, Public Disclosure Commission website. It's a really good website, although, you know, you get better at using it as you use it. You know, familiarity is helpful. But um, at this time of year, candidates file a weekly report called a C3 and that shows their contributions. And this week, on September 22nd, Connor McCarthy filed a C3 that shows that he took in, over this week, another $3,100 in contributions. And that's what he took in, $1,000 from IBEW Local 483 PAC, $1,000 from PMSA Washington State PAC, $1,000 from UA Plumbers and Pipefitters, and then a $100 contribution from an individual. And what's interesting to me is, I mean, he is not at risk in the money department. No. And um, I think what's interesting is is the flip side of the money coming in. The, the flip side is the money going out. And um, the only campaign expenditures that have been reported since the primary – um, print advertising at the TNT of about a little under $1,100. Uh, the other expenses have all just been consulting, management. I mean, the typical expenses yeah. associated with maintaining a monthly campaign organization. Mm-hmm. So all of the spending that we've seen in terms of signs, mailers, doorbell pieces, what have you, all of that preceded the uh, the primary, and we, we have not seen the same level or, or rate of spending mm-hmm. since the primary. But the contributions continue to come in. But the contributions continue to come in. And, you know, we're getting to a point in the cycle, we're not too far off from uh, from October, mm-hmm. where you would think that, you know, any expenses that you're going to book, you probably have to get them in pretty soon. Yeah, let me explain that. So if you were going to do a mailer to send out to people, um, you are supposed to report that expenditure when you place the order. So that includes, you know, you're going to go to a printer and place an order. You may have before that even gotten your photography and everything else. But when you place the order for the print is when you report it. You don't report it later when it might eventually get mailed out. And so that's why Joe's saying, you know, 
you know, we're in almost the end of September. If someone is placing orders for a mailer to go out mid-October when the ballots are issued, we should be seeing those orders about now. And I think that's why we did see the realtors, the realtors order. Uh, yeah, in the Heinz campaign. Yeah. So that's what leads us to think that there's a reasonable likelihood. Now, it could be that Connor has a lot of mailers that were printed up from pre-primary. He could plan to send those out again. But I think it's also quite reasonable to think that why would he spend that money when he probably doesn't need to? It's not a competitive race. Right. Yeah. He, he's not – his opponent is not a threat. Mm-hmm. So he's term limited. He can't run for city council again. Right. So let's talk a little bit about what happens to that $30,000 that may be even more by the time November comes around. If the contributions keep coming in as they've come in, it, it probably will be higher. Uh, typically, this goes – the candidate's account, his campaign, keeps it and it becomes what the PDC calls a surplus funds account. Right. And that is money that remains under the control of the candidate and can be used for other electoral functions. Mm -hmm. It can be donated to other campaigns. It can be given to a political party. Or yeah. it can be used for a candidate's next campaign if the candidate has a next campaign. Yeah. There are some things that you can use your surplus account funds for in your um, political um, position. So, for example, you just have to justify it. You you have to say, this is an expense that is related to my political uh, – to my position that is not reimbursed by the political entity, in this case, the city. So I've given examples in the past of let's suppose you have a group working really late at night on a piece of legislation or something and you want to call out for pizza for everyone. You could use your campaign surplus account and pay for that pizza. Let's say you have a constituent in your area who, who um, passes away. You could send flowers to that funeral, you know, from you as a, you know, something related to your uh, elected position that is not otherwise reimbursed by your, um, by your elected entity. Um, but what it really gets used for is mostly two things. I mean, one is, is you can make um, contributions to political party and political party, you know, affiliates so like the um, Democratic caucus pack or something at the legislature. Um, but the, by far the most common is you save it, and you save it and you build your war chest for your next campaign. You often see this in um, state legislative races where people who are in safe districts nevertheless do fundraising, and this money just snowballs yeah. from one race to the next race to the next, and they end up with some some hefty surplus fund accounts. Yeah. Yeah. It also allows you to kind of become a little bit of, of a more prominent feature within your political party right. because you can give the money to the to the party and you get all kinds of kudos in, re, in response to that. So I, I would assume uh, in the case of Connor McCarthy, it's unlikely that he will not run for office again in the future. I think that's a reasonable. So uh, there, there will there should be a, a hefty sum of money left here that could get a, a subsequent campaign for another office. Yeah. Up and running. Yeah. You know, in four years or six years, 
Or two years. Or two years. So watch and see. Yeah. Watch and see whether the money keeps coming in. Uh, finally, position eight, John O'Laughlin and Christina Walker. Uh, Christina Walker is ahead in, in the fundraising tally of about close to $57,000. O'Laughlin is at 34200 And again, in this race, um, no independent expenditures reported for or against either candidate uh, that I saw when I took a look at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that um, I thought these were reasonably evenly placed uh, campaigns in terms of who's giving money to them. Um, Christina Walker has taken in more money, but she's also spent more money. Uh, John O'Laughlin has um, spent about uh, 14000 and Christina spent about um, 37000 And I think that that is um, – I know Christina seems to have – I see more signs around town. She's done a good her. job of uh, – this also, like the, uh, like the McCarthy race, this is a uh, – this is a citywide position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's done a pretty good job of, of literally blanketing the city, you know, all quadrants of the city with, uh, with signs. Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. All right. Well, let's turn to Port of Tacoma then. Uh, so this race is interesting, I think, because it was a big money race in terms of independent expenditures, both, both uh, positions, position three and position five, before the primary um, up first, position three, Frank Boykin versus Deanna Keller. Uh, currently, Deanna Keller is at about 55000 close to $56,000 in, uh, in donations. Frank Boykin is at $22,000. Um, I remember the last time I took a look, the uh, last time I drilled down into uh, Boykin's contributions, I think that total included a loan that he himself had made to his campaign. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, have not seen a lot of movement uh, in in either of those since the primary. No. Well, and the interesting thing for me in that, too, is that they've spent a good portion of the money they've raised. So uh, Deanna Keller has uh, spent 43000 out of her about 59000 and uh, Frank Boykin has spent um, $16.4,000 out of his $22,000. Um, so... That's a place where you might see a mailer coming out, but I think that it's kind of – the cash is tight when you consider that's a countywide race. Yeah. The uh, the interesting spending that we saw in this race was pre-primary. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was – three people ran for the seat. Justin Camerata was the third. And uh, going in, we saw the both the Chambers Business Alliance PAC – coming in with expenses of about $15,000. And then another group that called itself Concerned Taxpayers of Washington uh, doing an independent expenditure of about $21,000. The interesting thing is that the spending was not just on behalf of Deanna Keller, but also on behalf of another candidate, Shelley Schlumpf, who was running for Port 5. Hard to say that this was money well spent. Uh, Deanna Keller performed very well in the vote. Did about 46% of the vote to, uh, 
I think Frank Boykin was at about 26 and Justin Camerata at about 20. Shelley Schlumpf, on the other hand, ran far behind uh, the other two candidates in her race, Kristen Ang and Dave Bryant. Mm -hmm. And the money that the Business Alliance PAC and the concerned taxpayers spent was literally spent jointly on, on on behalf of both Keller and Schlumpf. They were both featured in the mailers. They were both featured in the online ads. Yeah. Well, and I think altogether it must have been about $70,000. No, no, it was 36000 oh, okay. for both. For both the, of them. Okay. The, uh, yeah, they reported the same dollar amounts. For each campaign. Yes. Okay, that confused me. I thought it meant they'd spent, I thought they'd divided the amount in half, but they just double reported it. I think so. I think you're right. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about the next race, uh, Kristen Ang versus Dave Bryant. Uh, this is an interesting one. Kristen Ang uh, has currently raised about $50,000, expenditures of 26000 Dave Bryant, on the other hand, raised just about nothing before the primary and performed really well. Yeah. I mean, he and, and Ang were running neck and neck as the votes were counted. Um, and even weeks later, he reports having raised $8,197 mm-hmm. uh, against expenditures of just under $2,000. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an interesting guy. It, it's He's either not soliciting or not getting the kind of you know, big business donations that you would expect, particularly since, you know, Ang is pretty much the anti-LNG candidate. Right. Um, you know, you would you would expect to see this is a race where you'd expect to see the business alliance pack. You'd expect to see the sort of big business donors coming in on behalf of the opponent. Uh, we're not seeing it. Mm-hmm. You know, the only um, I think one of Bryant's biggest contributors is um, Steve Gordon, yeah. who's from the Gordon Trucking family. They were located in. Uh, Oh, God, I think Milton or Pacific. That's what I was thinking, yeah. And it's it's largely Bryant who is behind concerned taxpayers of Washington. Or Gordon. Gordon. Yes. Uh, there are other people, but he is he's the, he's the, the main donor yeah. behind the concerned taxpayers of Washington. Um, but other than him, we're, we're not seeing big business money coming in uh, on behalf of Bryant. Yeah. It is an interesting race. So we know that Bryant has been spending some money on signs. He has red signs that are up. And, you know, we were out um, a, a week or so ago in the Eatonville area and did see some of his signs out there, a couple of Kristen's too. But, I mean, I, I did feel like he maybe was getting out into the more um, – the redder parts of Pierce County and getting his signs up there. But, and his you signs know, are very red too. They're very red signs. But if he's just spent $2,000, he doesn't have that many signs for a countywide race. Yeah, and he had even fewer, though, before the primary. That's and, true. You know, he Still did, fine. did superbly well. Yeah. I mean, he, he works for Boeing. He is a former Navy officer, commanded a— uh, Aircraft carrier? Yeah. Yeah, which is uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, he's got great credentials. Yeah. He's just—he typically is the kind of candidate you would expect to see with a lot of alliances in the business community, a lot of business money coming in. You're not seeing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really very interesting. I heard a story 
Um, so now we're getting into sort of the gossip um, side of my analysis, which is always inevitable. Um, but the story I heard was that he was up for consideration at the Pierce County Labor, Labor Council for endorsement. Now, I will say, I don't know if he asked for the endorsement or if, you know, some of the groups just brought his name forward. And there was some... Um, energy behind endorsing him because the longshoremen in particular have been very anti anyone who was anti LNG. And so Kristen, having staked out the anti LNG territory, um, is not uh, beloved by longshore and maybe even the, the rest of the building trades because they are um, – they've sort of decided, no, we're, we want the LNG. We want to keep tote in the area. We want to do this. And so it was sort of moving along that the Pierce County Labor Council was considering endorsing Bryant until somebody brought up the fact that he's really anti-labor. He doesn't like unions. That's a bit of an obstacle. <laughs> yeah. It did cause them to rethink and decide that, you know, maybe the Labor Council isn't going to endorse the anti-labor candidate, even though the LNG you know, piece is in the middle of it all. It would be interesting to know if he actually sought the Labor Council's endorsement yeah. or, or if his name just came up. Um, he doesn't appear to be, you know, making moves to getting endorsements or money from traditional campaign sources, no. labor unions or business groups. Or business groups, you know, exactly. He, uh, he has been pretty independent of both of them. At this stage of the game, getting kind of late in the cycle to assume that any of that's going to come in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the interesting thing is because, I mean, the longshoremen could do their own contributions. They, they haven't. But they haven't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. I mean, that race is – I know Christian's been working really, really hard. Um, but these countywide races are very difficult. And um, I think that's – you know, even though she's been working really hard, I think that's still a really tough race yeah. to win. Let's uh, take a short break, and then when we come back, we'll talk about the school board races, which I find quite fascinating. Hi, this is Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 sister podcast, We Art Tacoma. Here's a confession. I haven't been in a really bad earthquake. The worst I can remember happened when I was playing the board game Risk with my friends, and it just messed up the armies on the board. So, very tame stuff. But since I don't know what it's truly like, it makes me want to be even more prepared for when the big one hits, or even just the medium one. That's why I'll be participating in the Great Washington Shakeout on October 17th at 10.17 a.m. Everyone in the state is encouraged to take a minute to drop, cover, and hold on, just like you would in a real earthquake. Everyone, especially those like me who haven't been in a bad earthquake, needs to build muscle memory. It's good practice to make sure you don't run out the door and get hit by falling debris in the next big earthquake. So do it for real with the Great Washington Shakeout. Get down on the floor and hold on. Then do one more thing. Work on that emergency kit, secure those bookshelves, move those giant frames from over your bed so they don't crush you. Again, Shakeout is scheduled for 10.17 a.m. on October 17th. Got that? 10.17 on 10.17. Easy to remember. You can learn more at shakeout.org slash Washington. Use hashtag shakeout on social media to post shakeout selfies after. Thanks to the Great Washington Shakeout for sponsoring this episode of Channel 253. 
Okay, we're back and ready to talk about the school board. But before we do, I just one quick plug as always. Channel 253, $4 a month, fabulous deal, less than a venti pumpkin spice latte. So consider that. But let's talk about school board. Uh, school board, we don't have the school board races broken down into districts. This is actually a problem because, you know, Tacoma has quite different neighborhoods between east side, south Tacoma, and north end. But traditionally, most of the school board members have come from the north end, which is the wider, more affluent part of the city. So that's an issue for another day. But in the meantime, we have a citywide positions. And the first one up, um, position one, is Lisa Keating versus Debbie Winsco. Well, Lisa Keating has raised $27,600 against expenses of about $18,000. And what about Debbie Winskill? Uh, well, we don't know. Ah, <laughs> oh, very because interesting. She has availed herself of an option which the PDC makes available. You certify that you're not going to raise more than $5,000. And if you do not, you don't have to report your contributions or your expenditures. So she is at zero and zero as far as either of them go. Um, she has spent money. We know that because she's now got signs that have popped up all over town. Yeah, this this is really interesting to me. So the mini reporting option, I can tell you, was designed for really small races. Like, you know, if you're running for fire commissioner or you're running for weed control district, the idea was this is a tiny, tiny race. You're not really raising any money. And we don't want to put the burden of um, – reporting on you because we want to encourage people to run, and that's just another barrier to people running. Not so for school boards, in my opinion, and certainly not so for city councils or anything else. Well, especially school boards in a city like Tacoma. Exactly. I mean, this is a big school district. It controls a lot of money. And there are some really important issues that are being dealt with by the school board. Absolutely, and things that people really care about. So, when I noticed that Debbie Winskill had signs going up, I actually contacted the PDC with a question, and I asked them, um, so, you know, we have someone who's running who's, who's mini-reporting. Does that mean that she's not filing electronically, or does that mean she doesn't file anything at all? And I said, because, you know, she she's putting up signs, and I, I am sort of wondering if she may be close to or going over that $5,000 limit. And the PDC got back to me, and they said, no, I mean, she does not file any reports at all. But she is still required to keep copies of all of her receipts and keep her accounts. And in the 10 days leading up to an election, you could go to the candidate and just you could do this with any race, go to the candidate and demand to see their campaign accounts. And then if you revered, reviewed her campaign accounts and you found out that she had spent more than $5,000, then you could make a complaint to the PDC. But 10 days doesn't give you basically any time at all no. to identify problems and have them dealt with. No. By the time that complaint is even read, the election's the, over. Yes. Yeah. So really what this means is if you say, and the two pieces are, I'm not going to raise or spend more than $5,000 plus the filing fee, and 
I am not going to take a contribution of more than $500 from anyone, although I myself can put more than $500 into my campaign. You could self-fund the entire 5000 You could you certainly. But then what we have is people who are, you know, not everyone has $5,000 to spend on a campaign. So you really are saying people of a certain um, financial wherewithal can run these campaigns and, and nobody gets to see what they're either, you know, who's giving them money, if they're taking in some money and what they're spending their money on. You know, I think this loophole, I think it goes back to the 1970s. Probably. Um, they may have adjusted the dollar amount over the years, but it just doesn't reflect modern, current electoral realities. Well, and there's some things going on today in schools that, you know, frankly, we didn't really have to deal with very much when I was in school. Um, and one of them is just just the fact guns. Uh, guns are a big factor in schools. Um, but also, I would say, you know, concerns about white supremacy and other groups. There was a fellow, and I don't know if he made it through the primary, um, who was running for the Eatonville School District, who is the president of Washington 3% which is a gun rights advocacy group um, that has teamed up with Proud Boys of Washington, which is a white supremacist organization. And what they're doing is they're going around to all of the sheriffs and the county councils in the state and asking them to please agree, you know, um, adopt a resolution that says you will not enforce Washington's gun laws. You will not collect the taxes you are supposed to collect. You will not make people register. You will not do the background checks, which I think is really alarming. Uh, some sheriffs across the state have actually said that they will not enforce these gun laws. Um, Pierce County is not among them. Pierce County is wisely staying away from all of this nonsense. But, you know, this guy's running for school board in Eatonville. And, you know, if that kind of money and influence is coming into the school board races, I would like to know about it. Yeah, I, I think we should say we don't have any reason to assume. Oh, heavens that no, not in this case. It is in the Windskill campaign. But it just creates this opacity in this kind of race. And you just you don't know who the supporters are. You don't know how much is being spent. You don't know if finance limits are being observed and respected. Yeah, uh, and you can't even find out really until too late in the cycle to do anything about it. Yeah, I think it's a really – You know, it, it was an attempt to balance, you know, some sort of interest on on behalf of smaller campaigns for smaller offices, not to burden them with the kinds of requirements that you're going to dump on, you know, candidates for governor. Um, but – I, we've we've really outgrown this. I think so, too. So I did, out of curiosity, check with a campaign consultant that I know just to get a sense of, well, you know, what do you think signs like this cost? I mean, am I right to think you might be getting close to the limit? And probably I'm not right. I mean, his estimate is, is that, um, you know, probably you could get, you know, for one color signs, this, the size that Debbie Winskill's signs are, you could probably get about... Uh, 500 signs for $2.60 per sign, and then you'd have an additional $0.50 cents to $0.75 cents, uh, for the stakes and the hardware. So probably you're looking about, you know, a three, $3 to maybe three twenty-five per sign. So if you're doing like 500 signs for the county, you are still probably under the $5,000 spending limit. Yeah. Now, if mailers start to go out and 
If it, yeah, we even, see other things. Then, yeah, if even one mailer goes out, you've, that budget is blown because the the cost of of postage alone yeah. is going to take you over that. Well, particularly since school board is a citywide race. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So we just don't know um, what Debbie Winskill may. Uh, have received or from whom she may have received uh, contributions and what she has spent money on. Um, although you looked at her sign, so you know that she was using, um, what, express signs of Lakewood to get the print done. Yeah, uh, they're, they're, a, they're a standard sign manufacturer. You, you'll see their stuff in, in Tacoma races. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that you always look for in signs if you are a, an election junkie were they, in fact, out of a union shop and mm-hmm. Express is a union shop? Yeah. They've got a union bug on them. Yeah. So what Joe's talking about is if you look at any um, uh, campaign literature, you will see the little union seal, yep. which is a little um, – usually it's a, a little rectangle with an oval inside of it, and it gives you the, the union uh, local number. You, you do learn to look for the union label. <laughs> That's right. You do. You do. So I had actually been kind of twisted over this um, – you know, mini reporting for a school board race. And then I looked at position two. Position two has a Christopher Kearns versus Enrique Leon. And what can you tell us about those? Well, this is a similar race. We have uh, Enrique Leon, who is the, um, he was appointed to the um, school board. Um, he's now running for his first full term. He has raised approximately $21,000, spent about $13,500. His opponent is Christopher Kearns, uh, who has also availed himself of mini-reporting. Right. No dollar amount reported for contributions or expenditures. Mm -hmm. Um, In a way, it's sort of less of an issue here. It's not thought that Leon is going to have a hard time securing election. It was a three-way primary. There was another candidate named John Marsden in. Uh, Leon ran pretty comfortably ahead of uh, both of the others. Kearns has some signs up around town uh, and has for a while. He has, and his and he has a more expensive sign. They're a little bit larger, and they're two-color. They're two-color, which... Uh, so I would think that, again, you know, he... Depending on how many signs he purchased, which we don't know... Uh, he might be edging closer to that five thousand dollar limit. I, I will say I haven't seen anything new going up. No. Whereas in the other race, every week I'm I'm seeing some new wind skill signs where I didn't see them Before. a week previously. Yeah. Uh, but that's a more competitive race, you know, Leon Kearns. At least judging by the uh, by the primary results, doesn't present the same kind of issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So out of all of these sort of uh, deep dives into the PDC information, what uh, do you think is most interesting or what is something that you would say Tacoma voters should be looking at or thinking about? You know, the the candidate who interests me the most just because I know the least about him is Dave Bryant. Mm -hmm. Um, I can track just about everybody else. You sort of... One of the nice things about looking at campaign expenditures, you really learn who people's friends are, yeah. or at least who wants to be their friend. Right. Um, and, you know, Dave Bryan is kind of a fascinating guy because he's not getting money from, he's not getting it from unions, he's not getting it from businesses. Um, 
Mm-hmm. You know, who is he and what, what does he really believe? Is he not soliciting it or are they staying away from him? That, to me, is the real question in right. that race. Right, uh, There was some indication after the primary when Shelley Schlumpf, who was the clear business candidate, she was the one the Chamber of Commerce PAC was spending money on behalf of leading into the primary – that the chamber and other business groups were now going to take a close look at Bryant yeah. uh, since they clearly don't like Kristen Ang. And that has not – either they've taken a close look and they've just decided there's nothing for them there. We don't know. Or they just haven't taken that look, but he yeah. has not become the chamber candidate. No, and it's very interesting. Yeah, we had heard from a from a friend who sort of has connections to the chamber that after the primary they were reaching out to Bryant – to sort of um, get a better sense of him. And at least in terms of the money picture, uh, nothing further has come about. So that that's an interesting race in, in a race that's become – years ago, we wouldn't have even given much thought to port commission races. Right. These were the kinds of races that just sort of flew under the radar. You typically had a business candidate and a sort of insurgent candidate who didn't have much hope of winning – and, you know, the business candidate would win and nobody would give much thought to it. But with the methanol plant and now the LNG plant proposals, port commission races have now become highly controversial and highly political. Mm-hmm. And so it is interesting that in a race in which there is a candidate who is very definitely anti-LNG plant, mm-hmm. that we're not seeing business money in there opposing her. Yeah, it is interesting. I think the other race that I'm now going to start paying a little bit more attention to, because I wasn't really before, is uh, is the Connor McCarthy and and Courtney uh, Love race, and and only because I'm sort of interested to see what more money comes into um, Connor's account. Now he does come. In fairness to him, he comes from a political family. Mm-hmm. His mother is currently state auditor. She was formerly Pierce County executive, formerly Pierce County auditor. His father is currently on the Port Commission. He spent years as a Pierce County Superior Court judge. They have a lot of friends. They know how to run sure. campaigns. They know how to raise money. Yeah, that's absolutely I mean, true. They've, they've probably got maybe the best Rolodex of anybody in, oh, the, can you even in, imagine? in, in Pierce County. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're definitely, they definitely know who's who. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's not surprising that he would bring in a lot of money. It is a little surprising that it's as much as it is, given the fact that it is it is not in any way a competitive race. What interests me is that it's still coming in. Yeah. You know, because usually these decisions are made pretty early, and so I don't know what's going on. But it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what I was going to say at the very beginning, too, was a little caveat. You know, uh, Joe and I are politically active in Tacoma. We do give money to various campaigns. Um, but I think we've tried uh, to limit our statements to just what we're seeing in the well. I even you know we've we've donated money to Lisa Keating. We've donated mm-hmm. money to Christina Walker, Nath Lover, and Kristen Ong. Yes, that's right. Yes. All right. Well, so before we close out, what else is going on around town? You want to talk about the? We did this thing that was really great. Um, and I should say, one of my complaints lately to Joe has been, when was the last time you did something that was sort of a public civic activity that you actually walked away from and said, well, that was fun? And literally, we rack our brains. We cannot think of a single example, except this. 
This we, was good. This was good. We uh, we went out with Melissa Malott, who's the executive director of Citizens for a Healthy Bay, uh, on one of Citizens for a Healthy Bay's regularly scheduled bay patrols. Yeah, apparently they uh, part of their contract, I think, with the city is that they will patrol Commencement Bay twice a week. And they will report things like, a, you know, um, oil sheen on the water. Right. Um, they'll pull in debris where they find debris and just kind of keep an eye on what's going on in our industrial waterway. And uh, the thing, one of the things that I thought was fascinating, which had nothing to do with the health of the bay, was her observation that the moment the Trump tariffs went into effect, grain ships stopped coming into the grain elevator that's there along Schuster Parkway. Yeah, I but hadn't realized that. I hadn't either. But, but there's there's they're nothing. Gone. Yeah, there's nothing there, and also, uh, and similarly, timed with the imposition of the tariffs, a lumber company that had been on land released from the port disappeared virtually overnight. Yeah, they, they just they ceased operations, operations, laid off all their staff, laid off their staff, and just moved out. Yeah, because their business was uh, shipping. Lumber, you know, getting the lumber cut, treated, whatever, and then shipping it out to Asia. Yep. So gone. Yep. All those jobs, gone. All that activity, stopped. And, you know, the interesting thing is that you don't otherwise hear about this sort of hadn't thing. I hadn't heard anything about that. And I hadn't really noticed um, the lack of grain ships. Yeah. Well, you know, when you, when you drive along Ruston Way and you do look out, typically you'll see in a typical year, you would see ships sort of stacked up, you know, waiting to come into the port, waiting to go to the grain elevator, and there really hasn't been any of that kind of activity recently. No. No. It's That's a, a significant drag on Pierce County. It's a huge drag on Pierce County. Um, and, you know, if you if you back it up, then you've got, you know, the all the way back to the grain growers in eastern Washington. Yep. And um, it's going to have a real compounding problem if yeah. it, there isn't some change in that in the foreseeable future. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's sort of going on in town that I found interesting was this uh, Tacoma ceasefire. And this was a um, resolution that was uh, brought before the city council, I believe, at their at their meeting last week, in which various um, groups, the Puyallup tribe, a number of, you know, longtime uh, I won't say necessarily residents of Hilltops, I don't think it is, but, um, you know, a s- strong and upstanding members of the black community have come forward working in conjunction with the city council to call for a ceasefire to try to um, come up with ideas to deal with the um, violence that has been a problem over the last several months on uh, east side of Tacoma, but particularly shootings and deaths of young people. Yeah, there have been more uh, murders in Tacoma this year to date than, than we've seen in recent years. It's been – it's interesting. There was an article in the TNT this morning or late yesterday to the effect that the violence that we're seeing isn't gang-related mm-hmm. and that the people, mainly the police, who track these things are trying to reassure us that it's factors other than gang violence, but the article didn't say what those factors might be. Well, and and, and actually that is not reassuring. No, I because know. Because if, sort of, if it was gang violence, then it's sort of like, okay, then you sort of have a sense as to, you know, there are certain actors who should be watched more closely. If it's not related to gang violence, then what, what is, is going on? 
I think reading between the lines, they don't know. I think that's right. You know, so I, um, because I'm always nosy, um, put up a question on uh, to Compton Files, which if you don't know, it's a Facebook group that usually has a pretty good running litany of um, crimes and misdemeanors of Tacoma. Um, and a lot of, I mean, pretty obnoxious comments usually. But nonetheless, it, a lot of people follow it. A lot of people, you know, some people know things that I sure don't know. And so I put up there saying, look, you know, I realize I may not be the right person to ask this question, but I'm just curious, does anyone have any thoughts on has something changed? You know, why are we seeing this violence now when we weren't really seeing it just this way a year ago? Um, and uh, and I got a lot of replies, but none of them were really satisfactory. I mean, uh, one person said, um, "Under you know, we need more police or we need more prosecutions. Another person said it's you know, people from California, <laughs> which let me tell you, as someone who came up here in 1985 from California, I have heard that one for a long, long time about those terrible Californians. Um, but other people were saying, look, you know, it's the same sort of persistent issues of racism and poverty that have always created problems in this area. Um, and they're not getting better. You know, in fact, with the housing uh, problems, they're getting worse. People are feeling more stressed economically, more worried about their futures, and that has an impact. And I, I don't know what to make of it, although I did realize that one of the things that I had done in just asking was, you know, I tend to do this, and Joe knows this because he knows my dad. I come from a family where everyone sort of looks at everything like it's a um, – you know, a dissection exercise of, some, you know, let us now dissect this problem and consider it. And you forget that there's actual real people and real real issues at stake. So I, I think I did a little bit of the, hmm, this is a curious phenomenon. I wonder if anyone can shed some light for me um, when other people are directly dealing with the fact that, you know, a loved one is is has been killed or some crisis in their neighborhood. I just, clearly there's something going on. And yeah. either... The police don't know or there's some reason why they don't want to publicly know right at this point. But the numbers, the increase, the number of shootings, the number of killings, it's kind of systemic. Yeah. It's – and the numbers are kind of startling. They are startling. Yeah. Well, and they always have a – it always has a ripple effect, you know, because you have a shooting of – you know, one young person who's then not returning to high school and all of that person's friends mm-hmm. and acquaintances are impacted and thrown off too. So it's it's a very traumatic, disruptive process. Hmm. Well, I don't know. On a better note, uh, Arts Month is coming in October. So studio tours, Tacoma Film Festival, some of the beautiful sides of Tacoma Grit City. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, that's it for this episode of Crossing Division, Tacoma's talk show. What I would love, people, is if you're listening to this and you have thoughts on anything or have ideas for future shows, um, you know, DM me on uh, Twitter. I am at at True Tacoma. uh, Or there's also a Facebook page called True Tacoma. And you can get a hold of me either way. Or if you want to send me an email, guess what? I have one called True Tacoma at gmail.com. And we would love to hear from you. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. 
This is Channel 253.